uh, let's ask the Lord's blessing and be underway. Dear Lord, we're very thankful for your word and we're thankful for these opportunities. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, last night, uh, we were sitting around the library, Daniel and Taylor and Gunn and Leslie and myself, talking about stuff, nothing. The Boise State game was on the Daniel's laptop, so we were getting updated on that. And so various topics came up, and one of them was on how I prepared sermons and how could I live with myself. I think those were Taylor's actual words. Uh, we got, and so I, well, little did she know that I was preparing it as we talked. Uh, in, in a, we ended up talking about the distinction between thought and perception and what benefit there is to make that distinction. And so I sort of semi-joked that I was going to be using that t today. And I went upstairs to bed, and after the Boise game was over, which was something, um, I lay there awake, unable to get the, the categories out of my head, so I was just thinking of the various scriptures that to think of. So what we're looking at here is a, a, just a way of describing for yourself, to yourself, what it is you're doing religiously, so hopefully you'll have an improved religious, I said it in the best possible way, improved in a, your religious observations. Everyone knows what it's like to be that, you know, priggish religion person, you know, that goes to all the right things, gets involved, becomes a deacon. We know what that kind of hypocrisy can be like. We know what that kind of dead faith. But there's something, there's so much in the scriptures. If you start thinking in terms of seeing, and start looking up the times the word seeing is referred to and perceiving. I have this verse on the left-hand side, Genesis 16, 13. It came to mind out of uh, uh, the summer study on Abraham's life. This is Hagar. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, Thou art a God of seeing. Now when we would read a phrase like that, Thou art a God of seeing, we go, yeah, that means he can see everything. See stuff. He's a God who can see stuff. But that's not her reasoning. For she said, have I really seen God? And remained alive after having seen him. It's her seeing. That we have in our, our religion is one where God has reached out to communicate to man and he wants to be seen. He wants to be perceived. He wants you to recognize him. He wants you in your pursuit of holiness to be changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to the next by looking on him. Knowing that when we perceive him as he is, when we see him as he is, we should be like him. It, it has an awful lot to do with the distinction that comes to you in the word seeing or perceiving. Heaven's the, the kind of the title, I don't know, I remember when I was, how old I was, but it was sort of like an a, a illumination to me. When uh, 
you know, I found out that the word, you know, Samuel, he was a seer. We, and we hear the word seer, and we don't, don't realize it's seer. He is a seer. That's why it's seer. It's not some special title. He saw things. A seen things, man. And that's what our religion is about. We would, as those Greeks said, we would see Jesus. Now, with that in mind, I have the Matthew 13 passage, which, you know, I, I think about four weeks ago I referred to it in a, in a sermon on a different str- uh, stress. But here I want you to look at it in terms of some categories. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to him who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. I was having a chat with a friend a little while ago, uh, and he was concerned about why God didn't make himself more obvious. Yeah. Yeah, get into these discussions about belief and getting people to believe in God and Jesus and, and they hoist up their pants and they say, well, why, doesn't, why is he more obvious? Why can't you prove him? So, so why does not God make himself more presently known? And so I looked at him and I said, uh, well, because he doesn't want you to know. Not you generally as man, you personally as you. He doesn't want you to know. Now usually, usually Christians are so geared up to fill as many of the seats in those pews, create enough of a movement, that they will trade their mother-in-law for another convert. Okay, well, to say, something's got to be done. Someone's got to be traded. You're your least born kid, the one you don't like the most. You trade them. Because converts are what's important. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Why do you speak to them in parables? And so they won't understand, frankly. So they won't find me. Because they are not seers. Because seeing, they do not see. He doesn't want them to know. I know that makes you feel a little non-evangelistic. Aren't I supposed to convince people who don't have a clue? Well, there's something about that person God would like out of them. It, without faith, it, you hear me quote this, it's like Evan's favorite verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For anyone who draws near to God must first believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So, someone who chooses a God, I don't know what God... I don't see any evidence for God. Okay. Why doesn't he show you evidence? Because he doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know. The person who seeks God, God wants to be known by him and to know him. Because he is after those who seek him. And then he quotes Isaiah. For them it is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah which says... 
You shall indeed hear, but never understand. You shall indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are heavy of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should perceive with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn for me to heal them. I can imagine the average evangelical has a hard time with that verse. That's saying, and, and Isaiah was commissioned to cause that. Christ was doing it in the parables. Because if they perceived, if it was irresistible that God was true, the kind of people that God doesn't, I, and I don't believe in election, I don't believe in God saying, you and you and you and you get to go to heaven. You as others don't. I believe God, we're not proving God exists, God is proving if we exist. God is saying, okay, do you have any clue there's a God there. Have you pursued him at all? Because those that have will more be given. If you're a seeker of God, if you're a perceiver of the things of God, you're going to be in, given more to perceive. He doesn't want the turning of those that have to be overly convinced, herded by, you know, barbed wire and shock, uh, shock collars into the right way. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So I have this sensation, in this passage there are two categories. Those that see and those that don't. Those that see, get more to see. Those that don't, it's because they chose that they would rather serve themselves you can see that, it says, lest they perceive, they have shut their eyes. Their eyes, they have closed. They shut their eyes. When you're in a scary movie, we were talking about Jaws last night, which some of you don't appreciate, but uh, Daniel said that Taylor grabbed his arm, like, painfully. Some people shut their eyes. I can remember doing that with scary films when I was a small child. And why do you shut your eyes? You don't want those signals evident to you to meditate on later when it's dark in your bedroom. You don't want that to be known. You want to cut off what you would perceive. That's why you shut your eyes. That's frankly a fine thing to do, except when you're dealing with the living God. There are two categories, have their reasons, not perceiving and perceiving. The not perceiving is lest they have to do something. Because if you see the living God, if you know what Christianity is about, if you have spotted it, not if you recognize what the church is about, not if you don't think that it's the best religion on the planet, but if you have seen what God is doing, you fall to your knees. You repent of your sins. You have to. Because if I perceive, I would be turning to be healed. And the other side, the other category has its reason too. We talked about this a little bit last night. I was trying to wrap my head around the, the, the thought perception distinction and this came up. When you talk about perception, um, we're not just talking about, okay, here's the, here's the uh, 
scripture reading pulpit. I could, you could see that. I could see that. Um, there, there is the object seen. There is the signal that the wave light, uh, wavelengths of light bouncing off of it focus on my retina, and therefore I see it. Perceiving it is a different matter. Each of us might have a slightly different relationship. Some of you read from that pulpit, because you're on the rotation of scripture reading. Uh, I never get to use that one. I have a different relationship with it. I have different perceptions of it. But there is a connection. God not only made it, which is outside of me. I'm not, and the pulpit are not the same. But he also made the relationship that ought to be between me and it. The perceptive person finds that what God has made, which preceded their existence, God has made this world around you, and you, you weren't around for most of it. And you stepped into it with God having made a world other than you, that your perceptions are a part of the creation that God wants you to own, to participate in correctly. So when you know that it says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. What are they seeing? Well, they're seeing that which is, perceiving the, it the way it ought to be perceived. Seeing it for what it is. And, and recognizing its value, he says, for many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see. Long before you were to, born, thought of, God was doing things that those prophets said, I wish I could perceive this for what it really meant. And you have this opportunity. So you have two people, those who don't want to perceive, lest it cause them to disrupt their worship of themselves, and those that do see and understand the longing and the blessing. Now, most of you go, okay, yeah, makes sense. People who just won't see, you've been in a discussion with them, arguing with some agnostic, arguing with some atheist, arguing with some, you know, Presbyterian. Unbelieving Presbyterian, I'm talking about. We all know that there is this, I wish they could just see. We always, always seem to refer to it that way. Here, the problem is, and this is where the issue of thought and perception come in. I came up with a few things here on the left-hand side of images. I'm an artist, and so I, I like painting pictures of things that give people something to look at. That says, ah, look, focus that kind of wonderfully, you're painted that mountain over there. And most people go, well, why don't you just look at the mountain? Well, an artist, look at my picture of the mountain. This is why Plato didn't like art, because it was a a poor copy of that which was already a copy. He was already thinking low of the mountain anyway, let alone the picture of the mountain. But I didn't give that. I was thinking of, we were, I was talking to um, Jim about uh, mountain men the other night, Friday night, and uh, you think back in those days when people, nobody, no white men were out, was, Lewis and Clark period, you know. 
the middle of the 1800s, people coming out to places that had not been seen by white men, going back and telling stories at some trading post at some place, and then somebody takes down notes, and somebody eventually says, well, this is kind of does Missouri run like this? Ah, probably just a little south there. They can tell stories about the lay of the land. And someone, if they're smart and thinking, will draw a map off of what was described. Okay? People come back from these journeys. You ever see those early uh, maps of the New World or the Portuguese exploration in the East? You know, they're drawing a map of the coastline of Africa. And if you stand back and squint, you can spot Africa. But that's about it. Because they're, they're just drawing little inlets and outlets and inlets out. Because they don't have a, a satellite. They don't have any way of measuring where everything is. They're just sort of guessing. From what they've seen, they're trying to create a map, and those maps work for people, for the most part. Or if you go on vacation, you say, well, I'm not a mountain man. Can't I just go to some place? I don't know where you would go for vacation. I would not go probably where you want to go, unless you want to go to Iceland. What do we do when we go on vacation? We take pictures, right? So what, what, what do we, why? Because it's such a good replacement. All of our friends love to see them. You know how that happens? Let me show you what happened to me in Spain. Oh, you're going to run away. <laughs> On my phone. <laughs> Great photography. Here, let me show you a few videos of nothing. People on the street in Barcelona. And your friends want to kill you. But that's what we do, right? We went and saw Barcelona. Remember, when Leslie and I, on our 25th anniversary, went to England and Scotland, I remember going into St. Paul's in London, and uh, it's an impressive, probably one of my favorite buildings. Um, you can't get a bad angle on that thing. You can crawl around on the floor looking at the church, and it's still a very good angle. <laughs> and so the temptation is to take some pictures on an awful little camera, not set up for that kind of perspective. Or they know at the tourist trap there, they will sell you a book of pictures so that your friends are not doubly annoyed, doubly bored when they see Oh, the excitement of your time actually doing this. Actually being in the building. Actually seeing Barcelona. We want to do up a shorthand. Now this is where the distinction. We can think long, hard, and for centuries about boring maps and snapshots. Some people have built Christianity in their world, a world of boring, unperceptive Christians who are looking at the snapshots other people took, and sometimes it's snapshots of snapshots. They've fallen in love with the maps that were made. No one's still in love with traveling the Northwest before there's any white men out there, seeing the sights, experiencing nature, killing the whatever elk. 
There's a difference, though. You begin to know the difference between a club that is based on photography of the Northwest, a club that is based on map collection of the Northwest, and people who live in the Northwest and see it, get up in the morning and look at it. No, there's uh, maps and snapshots are great, right? I love maps. And I, I feel the tug of all about the maps. But I also know I would rather travel with a map if reality is right there and the map is right here and I'm looking down at the map and then I'm going out into the perception. Now what I'm describing to you is the distinction between thought and perception. Thought and perception could go well together as long as it pushes you to the perception. The perception is the actual. The perception is you meeting God. Theology is the map. Or the photos. The photos of the photos. And people have made careers out of deep thought. Or have you ever, I was telling that Leslie asks on the way to church, what am I going to preach on? So I said, uh, something along the lines of how people can know an awful, awful lot about Christianity and be ungodly. And the church suffers because we have thought that the deepest thinking, the experts on the maps, those who led the map club, and never went to the Northwest, and never walked out into the woods, that we'd rather refer to the map makers. Oh, because it gets really detailed. You get those topo maps, or you get ancient maps, and you get people in the church studying the ancient maps and the most current satellite maps. And so this exact same thing happens in theologizing. Nobody's seeing Christ. They're studying the maps. They're studying the boring photos. Now, like I said, these things, when you see a picture, a little small snapshot in somebody's photo album, and it goes, and you say, I really want to go see St. Paul's. And so you start saving to go see St. Paul's. God bless the photo. When the map tells you how to get some place, the place matters. And it begins to matter to you, the map has served its purpose. If it guides you correctly, the map has served its purpose. When, when the map doesn't serve your perceptions, it doesn't matter where it thinks it's taking you because you never try it out anyway. So you can have any theology under the sun, liberal to conservative, orthodox to heretic, and in that, in that, not knowing, ever knowing, because you never checked it. Now, the next passage here, <coughs> Isaiah 44, All who make idols are nothing. <clears throat> it's a great passage on, you'll, you'll see how, it's a fun passage. And the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know. That they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an image that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his fellows shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are but men. <clears throat> now there's a distinction when we're looking at that which is outside of you, which is the relationship, remember the longing and the otherness of the oughtness of your perception. 
That which you see is outside of you. How you perceive it is outside of you. Made by God to relate to you a certain way. Once you say, I am just going to be, I'm either shutting myself off, but I could actually become religious and think about thinking about religion, where I have no sense of debt to the, that which is, because I never go check it against perception. And if that's the case, you're crafting a religion in the lights of the best and smartest men you know. Let them all assemble, let them stand forth, they shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith fashions it and works it over the coals. He shapes it with hammers, forges it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He fashions it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. He cuts down cedars, or he chooses a home tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. When we start, when we're not faced with what we ought to be perceiving, when we're not seeing Jesus Christ and the life that we are supposed to have announced to us individually, not to us as a church for us to pass on to you. This is not a defense of any doctrine coming out of this church that, that sort of some sort of leverage. This is the true stuff. This is for you to recognize what you are seeing or are not seeing. You need to know what you perceive. And if you stop and say, the only thing I've perceived is the church handing me the photo album of the history of the church and me flipping through the pages of the photo album. I go, oh look, St. Thomas Aquinas, that was a nice time. Isn't that great that Martin Luther came along? Isn't that great that whoever founded our denomination was there? Is that your perception? How is your creation, not the creation of the craft of man, something that replaces real perception. And what's interesting, and you know, because I'm a radical Anabaptist, I, I don't want you to put any stock in the fact that we have one of the coolest little churches in town. You know, little church, steeple, pointy windows, a chancel, really a lousy pulpit. I mean, a lousy pulpit. I really expected more of you. But I always try to talk it down so that you'll be aware of this sort of really unimportant quality. Because that's what idols get put in. And you begin to see that the history of Christianity is built on a series of images about which we think instead of a series of experiences with Christ that the believers perceived. And those images that we think about become the doctrines of the church. And just like the idol that's built, we build a house for our idol. And we'll start to stress more and more how important the altar is, the chancel. Don't run in this as the house of God. We start to make this the place, our denomination the place, if we had one. Let's invent one. Come up with good names, share with them afterwards. The real true church, how about that?
that, that, that's not that good. Um, we build temples for our idols because the real thing is not functioning in you. You're living by images. It then, verse 13, 15, excuse me, It becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god. He goes, work this power, this with tools, and one half the log he chops up for cooking his meal and keeping warm. The other half he whittles into an image that looks pretty important, and he bows down. He makes a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire, over half he eats flesh, he roasts meat and is satisfied. Also he warms himself and says, Aha! I am warm, I have seen the fire. You know, that's the most religious actual experience the guy's having. I have seen the fire. I got the food. That's the real thing. The purpose of the wood. And the idol he made is not. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, Deliver me, for thou art my god. Now listen to this, verse 18. They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their minds so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is their knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned with fire. I also baked bread on its coals, I roasted flesh and have eaten, and I shall make the residue of it an abomination. Shall I fall down before a block of wood? Now, we know idolatry is bad, and we sort of smile to ourselves as we think of some poor pagan sap. No pun intended. Bowing down to a block of wood. Isn't that funny? And how much of Christianity is an image that we're asking the citizens of the kingdom of God to divert the perception of Jesus Christ to their perception of the house of God, their perception of the history of the church, or all the, all the ideas that are so important. If the ideas you have of Christianity are only things people showed you in their photo album of Christianity, I'd be concerned. Because the Christianity you're living in is one of images created of the thing to be perceived. That's what Aaron did when he made the golden calf at the bottom of Mount Sinai. He made the golden calf and he said, Look, Israel, this is the God that led you out of the land of Egypt. He, de he defined the idol as Yahweh, the God, the God they were following. When uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, made the, the golden calves at Bethel and Dan, he said to Israel, this is the God that led you out of the land of Egypt. They'll tell us it's about Jesus. What of your belief have you perceived? Now, just because you perceive it doesn't make you right. You know, we're not postmodernists here. Just because you thunk it, you don't get to have your own truth. But you can't hope. You can have the most true Orthodox doctrine coming out of your church, shown to you on maps and in photos, and it won't save 
because it's in maps and in photos. You have to stand before the living God. You have to, you have to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You have to call on the name of the Lord, not as a ritual in the church, It's a, it's not a, and, and that has sufficed for Christianity. Everybody's satisfied with deep thinkers writing all these books of theology about the maps and about the photos. And they get a little worried about people that actually see Christ. Now I'm not saying that you actually have to have a vision Unless you have a vision, you don't get to be really saved. It's not the beginning of a cult here. Okay? Um, and this is applies to this church as more than it does to other situations. Because you don't want to say to yourself, it's some sort of uh, device, well, you know, we're, we're our church, we're, uh, we're really more about perception than about uh, deep thought, deep perception, not deep thought. Because my pastor told me that that's what we're about. Yeah. You could write a book of theology about the nature of deep perception, you know, up against deep thought. And if people believed it, they would be doing the opposite of what it represented. The mountain man wants to come back, not so that you'll have a good map, but so that you'll go out with him. The sightseer doesn't just want to... Only when the sightseer wants to maintain their dominance over you and always be able to tell you about Barcelona like you've never been there. Because that ruins their dominance if you ever go to Barcelona. Oh yeah, I remember that place. That restaurant was just awful. Oh. They wanted to be making up stuff. They wanted to be telling you all that they know about New York City, all that they know about London, all that they know about Barcelona, because they're professional sightseers. And that's what pastors become. And a lot of times, they don't actually visit the places. They just become students of the photo albums that other people have put out. And we say to that God, deliver me for thou art my God. We bow down to the place, we join the club, we say, okay, yeah, I, I perceive what you told me to look at. I perceive my limited accounting of God is a map on a page. Do you want more than that out of Jesus Christ? Because those that have will more be given. You will. It's not like one moment you perceive in Christ and the next moment... That's it. I mean, that's all you get. God grows in you in your perceptions if you know that you're after Christ yourself. You know, you know recommending um, sometimes it's good, and this is not homework, but you can treat it as homework. Some people are like, I really want to be told what to do. If the church would just tell me what to do, I would, I would know what to do. So this is good for you guys, if that's the case. Write out what you perceive about Jesus Christ. What do you perceive? Not what you know the Orthodox pastors would say, but what you actually have concluded about Jesus Christ and the Christian faith and your point in this world. 
Write it out. It doesn't have to be beautiful stuff. You don't have to be a poet. What have you perceived? Listening to somebody? Meditating on the things of God? Experiencing Jesus Christ? What have you perceived? Then say, am I right or am I wrong? What more could I know? What more could I see of Jesus? Far better to have a church full of people who differ a little bit about their perceptions, because I know you and I are going to differ a little bit, but who are all about seeing than just thinking about somebody else's sight. It's far better for you. And far better for you to actually drag, well, it drives a nail into the ground. Not making you right, but you know where you stand. You know what you claim. You're no longer trying to impress the pastor with, yes, I'm going to say something pro-Trinitarian. So you get off my back. Or with Jim Wilson, you'll say something about confession of sin because get him off my back. We know the tools. We know how to dodge this. We know how to rewrite our beliefs to fit the map book that they were handing us. What do you really believe? What do you really believe? And you don't even have to turn it in. Nobody's going to check. I'm not going to ask. I frankly don't care. You're going to be, you, you stand before God. This whole nature of perception is because you stand before God on the last day and give an account for what you have done, what you have believed, and what you've asserted about Him. And I'd rather be in the position of someone who has perceived the things of God, even if I mistook what it was. Verse 18, about Isaiah 44. They know not. For he has shut their eyes. And look what that lack of sight does to them. No one considers. There is not, nor is there knowledge or discernment. They don't recognize how non-authoritative the photo album is. How far removed from the thing it is. Even if you were told that the God that that church serves is the God that led you up out of the land of Egypt. Even if you're told that the priest with the with this incense was exactly what the church ordered down through millennia. People don't even consider. They don't even look at it. Christianity, the new covenant in Christ, is something far different from the religion we have built around it. All for the sake of power, all for the sake of money. Not for the sake of Jesus Christ. Good people have been led astray into deep thought. And again, deep thought's fine if it leads you to deep perception. If it says, I've got to get out there. I've got to see this life. I've got to be in this Christianity. There's no discernment to say, half of it I burned with fire. Shall I make this abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded mind has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say... Is there not a lie in my right hand? Have you ever found yourself walking with Christ in such a way that the religious Christian you have no fellowship with? Not because they're sinful or heretics, but because they're not experiencing Jesus Christ. Have you known Christians in this body, other bodies, who never talk about their walk with Jesus Christ? Ever. 
Or they might talk about some idea. Isaiah 30 says, And now go, write it before them on a tablet, and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. Kind of inspired to write it down. Sit down on a little yellow pad and go, okay, what, do, what is it do I believe? A couple decades ago, I went through that process. What do, I was raised by Jim Wilson. I should be already clear about things. I need to write down what I believe. Not because I'm right, but because I, know, I need to know where I stand so I can be corrected from where I stand. But I need to know that it's my perception. Because if you know that you, can, you might not be right, at least you'll be in the right category of task, trying to find out what you've perceived of Christ. Look for the obvious stupid stuff. I made an idol. I bowed down to it. I thought that the church building was everything that should be, or I thought that the priesthood was the, uh, or I did all. Once you start examining your perceptions for reality, it's very easy to correct. It's very easy to see what's wrong with it. And don't let, oh, somebody, I think Austin Storm posted a picture yesterday of a girl on a horse out in the wilderness. And uh, it was so vivid. It was so, it was so over the top in focus. He was wondering, is this Photoshop? Because we all know what Photoshop is, right? It's to, is to add oomph to stuff that don't have the oomph, make people prettier than they are, thinner than they are. You don't want to be going in your Christian life to a place where it's studying a photo album, where everything was photoshopped to the level where it thrills you a whole lot to look at the photos. If you become thrilled with looking at the photos, and someone has spent a lot of time to make it just, the photos just magical for you. Not realizing, no, there really is a valley someplace, and there's a horse someplace that looks like that. Really. We're more stepping into more reality in Christ, not less. We're not dealing with images in any place that starts to, this has been the whole process of man's religion. We have gone to closer and closer to God in reality, Till finally you become the temple of the living God. If you think that the worship service or the building is it, you've got a photoshopped religion. You've got something that was tweaked to make moving, saying things with importance. James is telling me about this. Uh, we're talking about it on the porch out front. About pastors who have that, that, that unction, that that verve, that quaver in their voice. It gets to you. Cry with me. I, Dr. Bob Smith used to do this. Just, I don't know. He was just awful. Just mess with people. Because he could make his voice do anything. And people just squirming uncomfortably, weeping in the pews. And he seems like he's bawling up there. And then he'd stop on a dime and go back to actually rigorous philosophy that you didn't know what to hit you. Dad, my dad has some stories about it. 
I witnessed it in Pensacola, Florida, in the Navy. But amazing. But we know that the people can tweak the phenomena that surrounds you. Whatever the map, whatever the photos, those can be good, those could be beneficial, but they've got to lead you to the perception of the real. If you don't stand there before the living God, perceiving the real, having a healthy, you might say, not so heavily mapped out understanding of the Word of God. For they are rebellious people, verse 9, lying sons, sons who will not hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, <laughs> say to the seers, see not. Prepare yourself. If you say to yourself, I, I want Jesus Christ this way. I want my walk with Jesus Christ to be one of perceived commitment to him. Not to the map of him, and not to the photo album of him, but him. I want to go out into the Northwest, I want to see the things. A lot of the church is not ready to hear those sorts of things, and say to the seers, see not. And prophesy to the, pro and, and to the prophets, prophesy not to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. That's what they want. Because that's what you're left with if, if you're not going to be seeing the living God, you're going to be wanting to design. Once the Photoshop artist gets going on things, he can make the God you like. He can make the God you want. He can make you in that photograph that really picked up every you know, black head on your face. He could take care of that. He could look like Charlize Theron with some time. I mean, some effort. Especially you dudes. I could be, I could be beautiful. I could be handsome. Leslie was pulled up a picture of uh, Mel Gibson last night. He has a beard, a gray beard. He is a couple years younger than I am. And she very kindly said, I kind of looked like Mel Gibson. I knew I did not look like Mel Gibson. <laughs> with a little Photoshop? Maybe. With a large object placed in my way? Mostly. <laughs> We want smooth things. The only place you can get those is you keep the deep thought inside you. Because once I step out to perception, guess what? I have a debt to what is and the oughtness of the perception communication. That's a created thing outside of me. I can't fix that. I can only see that. I can only perceive it. I can only take it in and, and, and submit to it. But if I keep it over here in the deep thought area where it's all about the photo album I design, how pretty the pictures are, I could make that just about anything I want. And God doesn't want those sorts of people. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more of the Holy One of Israel. One of the things we just have to... And this is a gradient. This is not an on-off switch. Some people have a slight accommodation to the photo albums. Some people, you know, I've known a lot of theologically minded people that I may have agreed with entirely, and I go, I don't know if they're saved. They know the photo album really well. They've memorized all the pictures. They've never been there. 
Because until you see, this is the basic thing, if you're religious, until you see, you serve an image. That's just your choices. It's either an image of God and his glory that you have constructed in your mind or constructed in your theology, or you've encountered God. It's a look at the way it's phrased in the scriptures in the New Testament. Coming to know him and be known by him. And what we call in old Baptist circles having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's really, really cheesy. But you know what says it. He is someone. You are someone. Have you met? Have you seen him? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for being a God of seeing. Someone who allows himself to be perceived by those who have sought. Keep us seeking for that perception, not waylaid by all the images Christianity has thrown at us and all the deep, deep thoughts that we can think about it. Have those deep thoughts carry us on to visiting the place where you are. In your son's name, amen.